and welcome once again to the Gentleman's Soapbox, your weekly conversation with two middle-aged men who uh, are going to try desperately to keep on a topic which we're going to completely fail at. I was going to say, we're going to try desperately for that? Mm. <laughs> uh, I believe you've overestimated their chances. <laughs> So as usual, we have our general warning that if you're looking for, you know, journalistic integrity, non-tangential conversation with lots of intelligent nuance, um, that's not us. Um, I am Jake. With me, as always, is Sean. And we figured we got a, finally got a couple of emails today, and we figured we'd kind of go through those and go through some of the responses. Um so we, we got two emails in, one of them from a listener to another cast that Sean's involved in by the name of Yepix. Um, 299. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yepix was nice enough to uh, remind us that he'd sent several emails. Um, and yes, Yepix, we did get them. Uh, but uh, By the way, point, point of order, Yepix, I have nothing to do with that email box. I don't check it, I don't have it, I don't run it, I don't do anything with it. So it ain't me this time. I'm an uh, innocent bystander. But uh, one of the things that Yepix wanted to contribute, which was honestly really kind of cool, is um, a list of uh, various articles as well as uh, news sources from our cast on, on the media. Um, and what I'm going to do is uh, on the website in the notes to this cast is I'm going to post those links if anybody's interested in uh, looking and reading at those. They're absolutely welcome to do so. Um, we also got a, another email from, and I am going to mess this up. The, uh, on Twitter, he goes by at Mr. Paracletes. And, yeah, that's no, there's no way that I actually pronounce that right. Once again, I will throw that on there in case anybody wants to communicate with him via Twitter. I will put that in the notes. But he sent us an email responding to our first and second podcast. And what he says is, um, I think you guys summed up what the problem is with people enjoying these things, meaning... Back to the first podcast, entertainment and movies. The problem is everyone values opinions too highly. In my opinion, no one's opinion is special. I'm not, I'm ev I've even gone so far as to say that my own opinion is of no value either. Some people think if someone disagrees with them that they are the enemy. But at the same token, I do feel that everyone's opinion should still be heard. We still need to take in information but just need to distance ourselves from the emotional bullshit. Uh, if someone agrees with you, cool. If they disagree, okay. People seem to want to crusade towards commonality, and that shit just doesn't happen. Uh, not everybody likes everything, and that's okay. Say your piece, and then that's it. Thoughts and comments on that one, Sean? Well, I think that's probably about right, and I think there's a, a strong base of people in this country. And when I say in this country, that's all I can really speak to because other other places are a little different than us. They have a different economy, a different culture, a different makeup, all that kind of thing. We are uniquely American, uh, for better or worse. And the the issue with us is I think largely that. Like we're struggling with 
who is important, why that is, whose voice should be heard and how, and getting your voice out there in a system that is fundamentally broken. And we don't know how to fix it. Actually, we do know how to fix it. We know how to do that. We just don't want to because it's going to be messy and it's going to hurt and people are going to die. And it's going to be relatively ugly, to be honest. And the the further we get towards that, I think the more people are realizing, oh, crap, we are really going to have to do something about this. And it's going to suck. So, uh, I mean, I understand why some people back away from that and a lot of, of people who – and I think a lot of people like us and – uh, Mr. P are relatively certain we know how it's going to go. We just don't want it to happen in our lifetime because it's going to be horrifying um, to fix all that. It really is. So uh, I think there's a lot of people like that. So a lot of it is what you're saying. It is, and, I, and I don't disagree with you, is that uh, the getting back to some sort of normality or even just general basic ease of life is actually going to take a decent amount of conflict. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, kind of swinging the pendulum as close as we can back to the center. Uh, right now, we we were kind of uh, going to one extreme. Now we're going to another. We really need to swing it kind of in the middle. And to get to that from where we are now, yeah, I think there's going to have to be a, a large conflict. Uh, and it's unfortunate that, and to keep with your same analogy with the pendulum, that a lot of times the only way you get it back to center is to break the sucker and start it over again. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. I I don't see a way other than that forward, to be honest. And, and that may be just because I'm short-sighted. It may be because I'm too pessimistic. It may be because, you know, I, I just... I, I don't have enough imagination. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you it's not immediately apparent to me at the moment other than large conflict. Um, well, the second part of uh, Mr. P's email is extremely long, so I'm going to paraphrase, and I will apologize, Mr. P, if I get any of this wrong. Please feel free to send me an email yelling at me and correcting me later on if I do. Um the second part of the email ends up being about our podcast on education, and I'm going to make a wild guess, and I don't know this for a fact, that uh, from what Mr. P said, that he's pretty probably of an age similar to you, uh, Sean, and Mines, uh, because he does talk about his own education and how a lot of he's taught what to think versus how to think, but a lot of that came from parochial school. Um, which, surprise, surprise, if you're going to a religious school, they're going to tell you what you should believe. Um, and then goes on to say that he did a, have the opportunity to learn critical thinking going through the public school system. And if that's the case, then he went through the public school system a long time ago. Um, and then also how uh, his parents helped him out with the concept of now that school's over, uh, you're going to need to go out and find a way to support yourself. You're not going to live with us forever. Um, and, and once again, that's the type of thing that I know I remember from my own generation, and I'm guessing Sean's experience similar. Oh, yeah. Um, but you don't see as much these days, and that's kind of where we were going with the educational and learning concept is, is 
that we are very much trying so hard to keep our children happy and safe that they are forgetting to learn how to be productive humans, members of society. Um, there's a book out there that I would recommend to anyone to read. It is absolutely amazing. Um, the title of the book is The Coddling of the American Mind, and it is about how safetyism has basically destroyed our educational system. Um, I, it, 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 I can't recommend reading it enough. So, Man, yeah, it's... <laughs> And I don't, I don't know how exactly this is going to go with regards to how children are going to be moved forward uh, in the generations to come. But the, the right now, I don't think parents feel enough pressure, uh, believe it or not. I don't think they feel enough pressure at all to prepare them for the world that they're going to be living in. You know, it's it's a a large epidemic of, of, I don't know what the word is. I mean, coddling comes to mind, but there's, well, I, I think it's, it's a lot of, we, we look at a lot of the idealism the, that goes on these days and it's not terrible for a young person to be idealistic. It's not even terrible for a parent to be idealistic, but it seems like we're doing a lot of preparing kids for the world we want versus the world we have. Well, and I think as far as that goes, I mean, youth, it's their job to be idealistic. You need that to change the the world. I mean, that's that's the next generation's job, right, to change the world that and, – and for the parents to kind of instill in them the generational wealth that we had uh, as far as knowledge and idealism and, and all that, but at the same time – the, the two other things that go along with that are the critical thinking, of course, uh, whether it be in teacher or parent or both or whatever it is, and the work ethic, right? All those three things, the idealism, the work ethic, and the critical thinking have to go hand in hand. And as far as I can tell... As a generation, and you and I are largely caught up in this because we have children ourselves that we are trying to prepare for the the larger world. Uh, we are failing at as a generation, you know, and the, the boomers sure as hell failed and <laughs> we're not doing much better. So, like, it's partially our fault, right? We've tried to create this world that doesn't exist and can't support itself under the ideals and impressions that we have set forward. Because it's not realistic and it's not sustainable. So it all goes back to bike helmets, man. <laughs> man, and I know this is bad and you can't really say this anymore, but the only people who wore bike helmets when I was a kid are people who wore helmets all the time. You know, like <laughs> that, that's like you it was a it was a badge of honor to like fumble home with your bike in a little erpy 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 you know like noises and stuff where your rim was bent half and think your chain was hanging off and your handlebars were yanked to the 90 degree and be, and be all bloody and have your clothes torn up and go I made the jump but after that it was bad um when i was 12 13 years old um my father had one of those large uh, newspaper bi cruiser bicycles with the basket on the front of, of it. 
Oh, sure. And my brother, who is 10 years younger than I am, when my parents would fight, and then even just if we wanted to go somewhere, I would literally take him and put him at three years old in the basket of the bike and ride him down to 7-Eleven and get him a Slurpee. I was on the front page of the local newspaper because one of our neighbors was a photographer, so I was doing this, so it was the coolest thing under the sun, and, and ended up taking pictures of us doing this and put us on the front uh, page of the newspaper. If I were to have done that with my daughter when she was three years old, they'd have put me in prison. I was going to say, you'd be on the front page of the newspaper, but in a very different way. Yes. And the funny part about it is, is people will look at me and say, oh, my God, what happens if you fell off the bike? And my response to that is, we did. <laughs> One of the things that we used to do in the same vein is there used to be, um, uh, I guess I was 10, 12 years old or whatever. Our neighborhood was kind of under construction. There were houses constantly being built uh, at the time. And at the end of the cul-de-sac, which is what we lived on, uh, there was a house being built and the lot to it next door was open. But what they'd done to kind of dig out uh, the place at the time I lived in a place where they build basements, right? So they dug out the basement and they put this huge pile of dirt next to it in the lot next door. You can see where this is going. So what did we do? We shaped the dirt, put plywood over it. So it made a sweet ramp that was at least six feet tall. And then proceeded to ride our bicycles at full tilt, 25 miles an hour, all the way down and launch ourselves off of this thing. Um, most of the time, you know, because uh, you're not actually going that fast and you're on a bike and stuff and you're small, you're bouncy. So it was fine most of the time. We <laughs> dented a few rims and all that kind of stuff. But one of our favorite things to do that was really cool and, you know, it would have been Twitter and Instagram worthy should we be able to do it is we would get our friend, put him on buddy pegs on the back and put he would hold on to our shoulders and you would pedal with him behind you standing on buddy pegs. And when you got to the almost to the apex of the ramp, he would jump off and land on top of while the bike went forward. He would jump off and land on top of the dirt. So you'd have one guy jump off in the middle. He'd land on the dirt and the other guy would fly. Right. It was great fun. They probably put our parents in jail for letting us do that now. Oh, right. Because it, it, it never went your well. Parents, <laughs> your parents would have at least gotten a citation for you not wearing a bike helmet at this point. Oh, my God. Or pads or anything else. And then, you know, with the buddy pegs and the stunt stuff and everything. It was just it was everything we did was a terrible idea. <laughs> we didn't do anything that was safe. Um. Uh, give you an example of how far it's progressed down. My children are old enough to have bicycles, and they came back. Uh, my eldest is very um, – she follows the rules most of the time. She's not rebellious in the in, in that way. But my youngest, as soon as she got a bike, to, to her it meant the same to her as it did to us, which is freedom. I can do whatever the hell I want now. And she yeah, would – Wait till they get cars. Yeah, I know. It's going to be more, but, um, so she took off and everything and then she comes back and this bike has been through hell. I mean, she's had it since June. We've already replaced two tires on it, a seat, bang the handlebars back and, and done a new chain. I mean, just like, you know, and replace the pedals. I mean, this, just like bikes when we were kids, I mean, they beat the, she beats the hell out of it. So one day she comes home and the back tire is almost completely bald. 
It's three weeks old. It is almost completely bald. And I'm like, babe, this is uh, how many skids have you been doing? Twenty every uh, five minutes. You know, uh, I don't know. It's it just came that way. I'm like, you realize I can go find <laughs> the skid marks where you've been doing this. I know where you've been. I I know like I can go see. She's like, I've done a lot. <laughs> okay, and then she start like tearing up and welling up and everything, crying because she's like, Are you mad at me? I'm like, for skidding on a bike? That's what it's for, you know. Like every time she'd come back with something else broken, she'd be like, Are you mad at me? I'm like, You all right? Yeah. Okay, then we're good. You know, I'm like. like how could I be so hypocritical to yell at you for beating the crap out of you? But that's what they're for. I'm like, do you know how many pedals my dad replaced on my bike because I missed a jump or a curb or laid it down or whatever it was? I'm like, he used to keep an extra set on hand just in case I screwed one up. I'm like, no. Just go out there and have fun. You know, the, the only difference is, is that maybe the kid might need a few more chores so she can start uh, getting enough of allowance to buy him for herself. Yeah, we've gone over that. Um, but the thing is, she's like happy to do chores. She she loves go. doing that. She likes ha- she likes helping out. So it's not really like a punishment. <laughs> oh no, not, not even looking for a punishment. The idea of you work, you earn, you get to put these things back on yourself. Well, that's pretty much what she does. Um, yeah, she's my two yeah, step I, further. She had her first car accident a couple days ago. Oh no! Well, she all right? Oh, she's perfectly fine. In the fa- but the funny thing, she was w- ready for people to be mad at her, and it wasn't even in her car. She wasn't even the one driving. <laughs> like, why would we be mad at that? She was like, "Well, I have to go to the emergency room. It's going to be expensive." It's like that's why people have car insurance. It's okay. You're you're fine, or you're going to be fine. It's good. Just don't panic. Let's figure this out. You know and. Like their their sense of proportion is all messed up, <laughs> you know. But I I don't know, man. It's I know we're doing it to ourselves. I know that. I know that that's what we're doing. I just don't know how to fix it without large scale conflict because I don't think it's it's possible at this point. There's it, the the wagon's too far down the hill. Well, that can lead into our actual discussion topic for today, which is the question of do we really need or want the government solving all of our problems for us, taking care of us like, you know, Uncle Joe and, you know, Aunt Kamala? Are they going to come and take care of us? Do, do, is that really where we want to be going? So. Oof. Uh, well, categorically, there are some things that a government does do better than an individual, right? Like when you elect leaders to to deal with things that you don't want to deal with, uh, that's what a government is for or can't deal with on a, you're one person in one part of the country and this is another person in another part of the country. You need somebody who's good at dealing with large issues on the entirety. Well, that, that, But even then, I'll, I'll cut you off with another little bit of a question that, that goes into that because it's one of those things that through 
the greater discourse that you tend to hear. Uh, what about the people who look at you and say, we're not supposed to be electing leaders, we're supposed to be electing representatives? Well, I think the the president was always designed to be a leader. The House and the Senate were were made to represent different entities, right? The House was made to represent the people. The Senate was made to represent the states. And the president was made to represent the country and lead the country. And these were all different positions meant to kind of come together with the judiciary as a check. And and that was about as good as we could kind of design it at the time. And, you know, depending on who you ask, it worked, you know, uh, with various efficacy over the years. But the the trouble I see now um, is several fold. One is the power that they hold is immense and the, the people that they are put in office by are no longer represented. Politics is its own animal and it has nothing to do with the people that they represent anymore. It's It has to do with pushing against other political bodies and other political factions to try and make sure the other person doesn't get more done or more in their favor than your group got. That's it. That's all they do. And we have a class of, of people now in this country, the leadership class that make all the, it's total. I guess my point is They've elevated themselves and been elevated by us so much that, that they're they no longer represent anything that they were supposed to do. Well, like have it, over the past several years, even well, I'll, I'll take it further than the past several years, the past several administrations. Have they done much more than decide how much and what money is going to be spent and then make sure that they could get reelected? Oh sure, uh, they've they've put down a number of laws and mandates and uh, made a number of decisions that have affected us in our everyday lives. I, they they're capable of making laws. It's not that's not their problem, right? They can enforce their will on the people without an issue. Yes, that is very effective. However, the what they're seen to do, and I think you hit it, is they're playing. They're playing to what they think will get them reelected at what time and hiding their real agendas. Um, now, personally, and I've said this before on other shows, I think that's our fault as a country that we let them get that far. And we've created this, this, the idea of a professional politician that's become a career um, for a lifetime goal for these people is to become a career politician. Because once you get into politics and once you're somewhere where you can stay, you really don't have to do a whole lot. You just have to hang with the right people and vote the right way, and you can stay in the club, well, right? And just as a you know sense of perspective with that statement out there for those listening, I am 47 years old. Our president of the United States, Joseph Biden, has been in elective office since the year before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. These are career politicians. They are career. And there's it's not just Uncle Joe. 
There are tons. I was just using that one as a yeah. As a uh, there are tons and tons and tons of people who who have these political elected positions where their 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 career is made on doing these things, and I think that in and of itself is part of the problem. Uh, so does that go into the discussion about term limits? I think it. I mean. I don't. I don't have a problem with the term limit, to be honest. I really or, don't. Or the lack thereof. Well, no. I mean, uh, the, the well, maybe uh, because for Congress there are no term limits at the moment. You can yeah, be a that, congressman forever. Yeah, that's. I think needs to go. Um, they need to cycle those people in and out of there uh, further. You know, uh, uh, because once they're in there, they can basically work it and ger- gerrymander it, and that's another problem I think we have. Um, gerrymander it so that they stay in, right? Um, and as long as they do that, they're golden forever. As long as you were elected twice, everyone will just keep electing you until you really screw, unless you really screw up, right? AOC, for example, once she got reelected, she's now part of the club. Okay, she will always be there because even, people have even heard. If she, even if she cries on the floor. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, she will be there all the time because people are so used to seeing her name and so used to seeing her and so used to that kind of – and she has that recognition now that she will always be there. That will always be her job, right? People try and, and when one day she'll be a statesman AOC, right? Um, it'll, it'll be – or stateswoman. I don't know how to conjugate that, but anyway – it will and it's, it will be forever and it's <coughs> sorry um and it's really funny how you can actually watch that she really does know which side of the her the bread her excuse me which side of her bread the butters oh jesus i even missed my own analogy there she really knows where her votes are coming from because for oh, all of, of her does. um pronouncements of morals and what she believes and thinks um she recognizes that for example that she has to vote in favor of israel because most of her constituents are jewish funny that amazing you know i mean she has she spent months months talking about how we shouldn't be funding israel anymore and she just voted in the positive for um, the Iron Dome, because somewhere along the line, somebody nudged her and went, you you, you do realize that, that a large portion of your constituency is, is Jewish, right? Yeah. Well, uh, did she vote present? It, it, yes, but rather than voting against it, which is what she oh, yeah. insisted she was going to do. Yeah, she was originally no, and then she changed it to present, yeah. Um, but the, the thing – okay, one, term limits for Congress and senators, right, for sure. Two, three times, you know, or two times, just like the president, you're out, right? You have to go away, then you can come back. Um, I mean, if you, the, if you, even if you think about it, two terms for a uh, senator is close to is 14 years. Yeah. It's over it's a, a decade. Yeah, it's a ways. Now, personally, and I've said this on, on other casts before, uh, I think what they ought to do is – Make it like jury duty, right? When was the last time you were excited about jury duty? Everyone spends their life trying to get out of it, right? <laughs> Public office should be like that. They should take your your the people who are qualified, 
right? However, however that qualifying is. Like if you were going to serve on, I don't know, uh, 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 some kind of judiciary position, you would have had to have passed the bar before. And anybody who passed the bar could potentially be a state or or national Supreme Court justice. Or perhaps the way it goes is uh, to serve on the state Supreme Court, you have to have passed the bar. And then if to serve on the national Supreme Court, you will have had to have served in the uh, a state Supreme Court before. So and just step it up like that. And it's it's you can totally campaign once you're in, but it's random. No professional politicians. It's decided at random from a lottery just like jury duty. Um, that had cut out because we give politics and politicians way too much power. So cut that out. The next thing is cut out gerrymandering. Divide them up according to population segments in blocks, like square blocks, however it is. And what you get is what you get. Um, remove gerrymandering and remove the ability for them to move it on anything other than population count. So if an area gets built up, okay, then just divide it equally uh, according to population. Um, instead of the, I mean, you've seen some of these gerrymandering things where they draw out districts. They look, they look like amorphous blobs of, of weird things with tentacles and all that kind of stuff because this neighborhood over here is this ethnicity and it, it votes this way. And, you know, you're like, oh, for crying out loud, the you know, Kulu district. Yeah. Um, and they all are like that. Right. They all kind of do all that stuff. No, no, don't do that. Right. Bust them out according to population so that it's fair and so that. You don't know one thing because a lot of the United States lives in cities and I get that. Uh, but in, in cities are largely democratic, urban or, uh, uh, suburban and rural areas are largely, uh, Republican. I understand that that's the way it is, but there's got to be a way to figure it out and draw this stuff correctly so that it's, it's not this weird war of lines, right? So, um, Mandatory, random elections, no gerrymandering, and term limits on serving um, senators and congressmen. And uh, and that goes all the way up to the president, right? All those elected you know, officials and everything like that, random. Randomize it. Yes, absolutely. We're going to get some morons in there, but they can't do any worse than the idiots we have going now. You know, and when you say that, all I can picture is is somebody stepping up to the presidential podium and going, hi, my name's Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. And all hail Larry. You know, I have zero issue with that. Larry probably going to have his head on his shoulders a lot more than some of the other leaders we've had in the past. So um, I, I have zero issue. Right. I have zero issue with that. Um, create the checks and balances and make them, you know, make them with teeth. Right. They can go right around the, the Supreme Court right now uh, as long as it's a presidential mandate. And that's what they've been doing to get around but, asking the Supreme Court anything. Well, they've they've really pretty much even just gone out and stated that they don't care what the Supreme Court says. I mean, at the beginning of uh, all of this, the Senate decided for themselves whether or not something was constitutional or not. 
and and then you have President Biden's flat out saying on national TV, what I'm about to do is unconstitutional, but I figure it'll get done by before uh, the Supreme Court gets around to actually ruling on it. Yeah, really funny that. I, I, just because you don't like the way their opinion is going to be. And you know, if a Republican did that, the Democratic left would lose their mind. Well, whichever side did it, the other side should lose their mind. Yeah. So to me, this is the this is the root of the problem. OK, now, I, I, I'm not saying I've come up with a perfect utopia solution. I haven't. But the problem we have here is, one, professional politicians. Two, that we've given them way too much power. Three, they don't represent the people. They have no no relation to what we're concerned about at all. With that said, then, and it kind of goes, you know, to go back to our topic, is this then why are we so desperate every time something happens in the fact that the government has to correct the problem? Well, because largely that's what the government's for. The government is is there to do widespread damage control and corrective action to ease the hurt and suffering of the people. That's what it was created for, to protect and end the suffering of the people and lead us to a better way so that all of us could get the benefits that all of us can provide. That's what it was created for, in and of an essence. And I know that's a little bit idealistic to say, and no government has ever actually functioned like that in the history of the world. However, we did our best effort to make sure that that was true. So, and so here it's gotten my, progressively worse. Well, then then here comes my question, and it'll, it'll be obvious as to where my opinion on this is, is has it gone too far, though? Oh, I think it went too far quite a while ago. I think we're what, hell and gone from too far. So, so, so the idea that the government is supposed to reach out and end poverty by taking from other people and giving to the poor. Well, the and see, here's and again, that's where idealism meets reality, right? Like, there's no. Nowhere on earth has a government ended human suffering, ended it like it, it's not possible. We are humans. We do bad and we do stupid things to ourselves. We do stupid things to each other and all that stuff. Um, what the government has done is actively uh, recently gone the other way. Uh, they have actively supported poverty. They have actively made it easier for poverty to exist and financially supported the creation of more poverty this is exactly backwards from <laughs> from doing those actions right from from trying to help and and sustain people in a dignified and um uh helpful manner so i mean that's that's what we're literally doing uh and then in some cases you're you're it's impossible to make a decision to to do anything that is realistically helpful to um that they've made that impossible or they make it illegal right in some cases uh or illegal in things that are should be illegal like rioting uh <laughs> is is then supported 
by the government because it benefits their particular narrative at the moment. And that's the part that I find really objectionable is they don't they don't acknowledge uh, their own culpability when these problems persist after they've gotten their way. They're like, oh, yeah, that was somebody else's fault. We did everything we could, you know, and you're just left going, what? So, uh, yeah, it's it's a big, giant spaghetti mess. So I guess where I'm kind of go with this is have we come to a point where we're expecting too much? Or 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 let's take that the other direction. Are we is what we as a country expecting um, actually what we should be getting? And they're not living up to it. Which, 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 which direction are we going in that? Mm, I don't know, because it depends on the issue, right? Um, I mean, anybody who's who's like seen the news or, or you know felt national politics touch them uh, will tell you that they're not doing enough. Uh, others will tell you that they're doing the wrong thing. And others are so disconnected from it that as long as the narrative sounds good, it doesn't matter to them what they do. And it really depends on what side of that you're on because uh, there's no clean answer, right? Um, any government can point to wins and any government can blame somebody else for their failures. Oh, I mean, and it's so complicated that if you can't tell, I'm even having a tough time figuring out the right questions to ask. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. Everybody is, right? Everybody looks at stuff and they're and they just throw their hands up because it's so un unerringly co- complex that you don't even know where to start for for half of these things, right? So what to me, like when you boil it down, where does the root of the problem come? Right? The root of the problem to me comes in professional politicians, gerrymandering, and the fact that None of the uh, qualified issues or the issues that we should be dealing with are being dealt with in an honest manner. Such as? Uh, pick one. Health care, uh, foreign uh, relations, um, uh, taxes, anything. Like, pick anything. Uh, military service. Uh, you know, it, well, doesn't, it the, doesn't matter. The, the House just passed the... Uh uh the uh, bill to start um adding women to selective service oh yeah i heard i heard a lot about that recently you know um well, like i have my own it's... opinion and conspiracy theory on that one oh yeah let's hear it oh basically the reason why they're going out of it a lot of people think it's a woke issue personally i think it's an issue that they know something's coming and that they're going to need the people oh that's a very paranoid way of thinking about it but uh, but we we know that i'm paranoid we've been through this (laughs) i think it's probably a little bit of both i also think that um because of the situation we're in right now um which is a lot of people are disillusioned with the way our country creates and maintains our military forces and chooses to engage them that there have been less people engaging in that particular uh, thing just like there are less people engaging in becoming a new uh, law enforcement officer, 
I, I think people, the shine has kind of come off the penny when it comes to military service for some people. And this kind of opens up an entire new avenue. And what to me, what it's funny is for the people who have been speaking about equality who really mean it, they're like, well, yeah, of course women should serve. Uh, you know, and these are women I'm talking about. You know, there are women out there like, yeah, of course women should serve. If men have to serve, then women should have to serve, and it's only fair. And I think a lot of them are like that. You know, over half, I, I would estimate, at least in my uh, BS anecdotal uh, <laughs> conversations and stuff and, and looks upon the Internet, uh, at least a good majority are like, well, yeah. I mean, they have to do it. We have to do it. Okay, that's fair. Um, but there's this other part of them, uh, or other part of, of people, uh, women and men alike, who are like, well, that's not fair. You know, and I've seen women, you know, some women be like, oh, no, I shouldn't have to do that. I don't, what if I don't want to? And I'm like, when has it been about, when has mandatory drafting ever been about what you want? Well, and, and here comes my point to say something that's, that we're not supposed to say, is those are usually also the same women who, uh, want equality, but then still won't pick up the check. I'd say that's probably largely true, but uh, there's because uh, it, it's it's a real thing. I mean, women can serve. I mean, do I think? And this is going to be wildly unpopular for both people who listen. Uh, but <laughs> I, I I think that there are jobs that men can do better than women. When you talk about a military in, in a military aspect, yeah, I, there are. Um, I don't think standards should be lowered. Uh, if you can't make it, you can't make it, man or woman. And, I don't and, care. And that's kind of even then in and of itself. You know, the the logical side of that is is you set a standard as to what you need for to get a specific job done. And whoever can meet that standard, be they male or female, can do the job. But if right. they can't, once again, be they male or female, then they can't. We yeah, they flush guys out of the Navy SEALs all the time because <laughs> they can't make it, right? And I, 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 I know in some special operator services, they've, they've made a mandate that, or, or we're talking about making a mandate or something like that where half the operators have to be women now. And I'm like, wow, that is a ridiculous standpoint to come from, right? Because it doesn't, to me, that doesn't make sense. What you should do is be sending the most qualified people out there. But uh, there's, cause there's lots of jobs to do in the military, right? All, all the, the, the stuff that there is now, I mean, you can find as long as somebody's reasonably fit and reasonably sound of mind and body, you can find something for them to do. So uh, do I think women should be in there? Yeah. Should they be drafted just like the men? Yeah. Um, we had to go through it. I mean, we weren't drafted. We didn't have a draft when you and I were of eight, you know, between 18 and 26. And, and, and we still don't. Right. So we haven't had a draft since Vietnam. That was the last draft we have, and it was wildly unpopular then. In fact, every draft has been wildly unpopular. However, right now we've had enough military on hand to cover the wars such as they are, to cover the wars that we have, or engagements, actions, you know, police, whatever, nation policing, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the wars. If people are getting dead on other soils, I'm going to call it a war conflict uh <laughs> there we've had enough to cover it now should we go to war with somebody like i don't know china that may be a different story and you may need a draft 
right? Because China's already gearing up and saber rattling and, and everything to to make noises that the U.S. has slighted them and the U.S. needs to be dealt with, right? So there's all kinds of things, and I I I, I think it's right that women uh, should be uh, enrolled in selective service just like the men. I absolutely think that, even though that means that my daughter and yours yep. are going to be eligible, right? Because yours is around 18, if she isn't already. Uh, she's she's 17. Yeah. So by the time she turns 18, she's going to have to register. By the time mine are 18, both of them are going to have to register. And when we were explaining this, uh, my wife and I, they're like, well, <laughs> and you know, my, my eldest is, is 12, and she's like, what if I don't want to go in the military? I'm like, welcome <laughs> to being a dude. <laughs> in a time of national emergency, they don't, you don't get a vote. <laughs> you go. And, and that's kind of what it was. And, and my daughter was horrified by like, you know, by, by that. And I'm like, well, it happened to your grandfather. He was drafted. Now, the day he was drafted, he did something what I consider very intelligent and didn't open the draft letter and went down to the Air Force and and signed up instead of the Army, which is where they were going to send him, um, and luckily survived the war. So, um, <laughs> at which I, I always thought was a move of brilliance. Like, if you're going to have to serve, pick the damn branch right because <laughs> uh, his mom called him at his friend's house she's like you have a letter from the you know from the the draft board and he's like don't open it don't touch it don't do anything and left his friend's house that day and signed up for the air force because the, the you know the country didn't care who you signed up for just that you enlisted right didn't matter if you were in draft or did it yourself he, he was gonna go so uh it was it, it's one of those things where this this is equality. Now, I can't believe that it didn't happen before now. And I, I think it was supposed to happen because I remember them talking about it before Trump hit office and then Trump buried it. He didn't like the idea of, of women serving for whatever idea or whatever reason. I, I don't know. I never really heard why, but it was tabled. And then, of course, as soon as um, as soon as Biden gets in. You know, they slip that back in, which I think is fine. Honestly, I I don't have a problem with it, even though it means that my daughter could serve and could potentially be drafted into a war she didn't want to and potentially be killed in a war. Um, that is fair uh, because, honestly, we need to be – and this is another thing about reforming um, the government. We need to be better about picking our wars um you know instead of war hawking and in freaking uh afghanistan for 20 years we should have left after obama bin laden was killed like okay gotta go guys we're done we've mission accomplished let's look like actually mission accomplished let's get the fuck here we got to go right well i mean that kind of goes into never having really had a defined mission to begin with you know the the nation building was never going to work in Afghanistan. It's never worked. It's never worked, right? It doesn't matter what. Like pick a nation. I it, I mean, I can't remember who said it. Who said that? Um, uh, you know, joking about bombing Afghanistan back into the Stone Age and then going there for uh, 
um, to entertain the troops looking around and realizing they were in the Stone Age to begin with. Yeah, like, what's it matter? Uh, There's... Louis Black, that's who said it. (laughs) I love Louis Black. Yeah, and I'm just trying to figure out why my brain ain't working today. (laughs) You're over 45. (laughs) Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, you know, we were talking about that on a on a different cast, and I'm like, you know, over 45, you know, they don't tell you stuff. Like, you can be hurt sleeping. <laughs> that, that crap didn't happen to you in your 20s. You wake up at 45, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, why is my back is, oh, my God, but what happened to my neck? When you were 20, you just pop that sucker from side to side, hear some crunchies, and then go into the shower, hop into the shower. 45, you're like, oh, man, today and tomorrow's going to suck. Oh, what I've been telling people forever is that if I woke up one morning and nothing hurt, I'd worry I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and that's that's kind of what, you know, you, you look at when you're – when you have something to look back on and you, you have a life experience to, to go, okay, how is this really working for us? Uh, I, I think not well is is the answer for most of our our lives anyway, as far as politics I, and the way the country works. And I, I think that's what's bothering me to some extent with some of the younger people with some of the demands that are being made is 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 recognizing that uh, as they're, they're they don't have as much to look back on to say to see for themselves what's happened you know for all the people who are talking about socialism and communism they they're not generally the people who remember what socialism and communism was what they see is a way that they can get out from the crushing debt and the horrifying gathering of generational wealth from the boomers is a way to equalize that. And what we remember is Russia crumbling to nothing uh, because in the 90s when they proved that that methodology doesn't work. Right? There's there's one thing that the idea of communism, which I have to admit, if you're an, if, 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 idealistically speaking, is an interesting idea, but it does not take in any way, shape, or form human nature into its account. No, and the the idea of it is great. the The actualization of it is horrifying, and that's that's like okay. Take, for instance, um, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn, but I'll come back around. Uh, Take, for instance, China, right? China right now is going through and has been for the last, I don't know, 20 years, an economic boom, right? Everything is being produced in China. Every All the factories, all the contacts, all the, all the, the industrial might of the world is being, has been moved and, and been conducted in China. It has created incredible financial wealth and growth and capitalism in China. And for the first time ever with this uh, whole uh, – oh, crap. What's the, the Evergrande thing? Do you know about that? No, actually, I don't. 
Okay, so what they what happened was a third, a full third of China's growth was built on real estate. Okay, the the buying and selling at a higher price of of developed real estate, so people could realize their dream of home ownership and their dream of a better life and in these thriving industrial and commercial areas. And whether it be in a high rise or an apartment or a home or a condo or whatever it is, it was this huge boom where China basically went through the industrial revolution and the information age in the same span of about 15 years. Just, you know, insta country. And they had all this stuff and they've been the largest growing nation in the world i mean they bought everything they can they've got just tremendous wealth they've built everything all kinds of stuff and a third of that was built on the real estate industry now the real estate industry did the same thing that they saw all the big countries doing all their older brothers what they did is they would buy the real estate at a certain price whatever the market would hold and then they develop on it and bet on that real estate being more valuable or more expensive later on, right, Two, when they sold it. 2008 comes to mind. Yes, exactly. That's exactly where we're headed. Now, the largest the largest company of this who did this and, and has their hands in literally billions of dollars worth of, of assets and business deals and real estate and all that is called Evergrande, I think is their name. And they are a vast company and they are at the head and everyone else followed their example because they were in China, followed their example because that's the, the model they were using. And the Chinese government saw this and said, OK, look, we're we're not the same as the U.S. So what we're going to do is we're going to tell you that there are three red lines that you are capable of crossing with this, going over your, uh, and it's like complex and stuff, but basically overreaching. There's three ways you can overreach. You can overreach with your assets, with your deals, and with your money, right? And this company did all three. Blake blew right past them. And like, just like in the States, just like in everywhere else that did this and followed that model, they are about to fail. And because they're about to fail, everyone's looking to the Chinese government because one of two things is going to happen. Either the Chinese government will prove that they're a capitalist nation and bail them out because they are, in quite point of fact, too big to fail, or they're going to let them burn, proving that the communist methodology is indeed in, in, intact and the Chinese government is in fact in charge and they haven't bowed to capitalism. One of those two things is going to happen, which will force China to either admit they're not a true communist country anymore and the leadership is no longer in power, it's the corporations who really hold the power, or they're going to tank a third of the country's revenue and growth to prove the point. Considering the fact that we're talking about China, is there a third option, uh, which is to for China simply to nationalize that business? It's possible, but the problem is 
they don't owe all the money internally. They globalized just like all of us did. So it's not uh, it's not them they owe the money to. It's not other Chinese. It's everywhere else because they globalized and overextended themselves globally. So they owe the U.S. and they owe the EU and they owe the U.K. and they owe the Sarah, you know, Emirates and they owe like they owe tons of people tons of money. And when they're unable to pay, it's going to be a problem. You know, um, I guess my own. This one's weird for me because I, you know, and and maybe I'm looking at the Chinese a little bit on the stereotypical side, um, but. I could almost see them just saying, first of all, we're nationalizing the business, and now that we have all of the all of these debts, fuck you. Well, it's entirely possible, but the problem is, China China is no longer as self-contained as they used to be. They do rely on other people now more than ever, and they can't do that. I understand that. I'm I'm saying whether or not. They understand. That. Oh yeah, no, they're way smarter than than people give them credit for. They wouldn't have been able and, to do this without and, being and that smart. And that's what I say is maybe maybe I'm looking at this a little bit stereotypically. Um, maybe I read too much Tom Clancy when I was younger when he <laughs> basically wrote an entire story on this is how China started the the, the third war. Um, it's one of those things where I, I guess I'm, where all of this is coming from on my end is is that I have very, very little faith in the idea that government can and will solve anything. I have no problem with the fact that people become billionaires because those are the people who have innovated. Uh, you know, everybody wants to complain that Jeff Bezos built himself a rocket, yet at the same time, if Jeff Bezos wasn't around uh, for the past uh, two years, we'd have all been looking at empty houses going damn, where do we get all of our stuff? We're not allowed to leave. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the billionaires. What I have problem with is the the loopholes that allow the billionaires not to pay as much as the rest of us owe. The, well, it, it, then that goes into the debate about a flat tax. Right. Which, you know, and I'm, there are smarter people than me to figure out a tax situation. All I can tell you now is that I know it ain't right. <laughs> I know it's not right. I know enough to look at the numbers and go, wait just a damn minute. You know, like, I, I can get there. I, I don't have, and this is why, like, nobody has, nobody even knows where to start digging. Because well, when you start looking at it, you're like, huh, if you start, the hell? Well, if you look at it as income, thing, surprisingly enough, Jeff Bezos personally, though he may have billions of dollars, did not make billions of dollars last year. So his income tax is not going to be nearly what people tend to expect that it should be. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so do you tax what he has wealth-wise? Do, do we have a wealth tax? I know that's what they're talking about wanting right now. Well, yeah, it's a capital gains tax is really what they're looking at because most of the the income that he actually has is protected, right? It's protected inside of these funds and these these things, these mechanisms that were designed for retirement purposes that they're using to gain immense wealth. And they're using them in a way that's not illegal. It's just that if you have enough money to dump into these things, they can be used as an exponential wealth multiplier. Uh, and but even then, we've gotten to a point where the government in of itself is spending so much money that 
and this was an equation I saw recently that was I found absolutely astounding. If you take all of the recorded billionaires that they have in the country at this exact point in time who are supposedly supposed to be paying taxes, if you took every asset, every dime from them, it would uh, it would only cover the first year of the bill they're proposing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, you go back to what uh, – these these people are not designing things that are used to help you, right? This They're not trying to help you. They're trying to get reelected. They're not trying to, to make the situation better. They're trying to make it better for themselves. All the things that apply to us do not apply to the leadership class. Like you think your health stuff sucks? Yeah. Congress does like none of the the rules that apply to us apply to Congress. None of, they have a fantastic health plan, by the way. Um none of the income tax rules that apply to us apply to them. None of the the wealth and capital gains tax rules that apply to us apply to anyone in Congress or the president or anything like that. None of it. The other part about it is, is they the statement that's being made is that the IRS is going to be made larger so that they can make sure they get every dime possible from these rich people. No, they'll go after somebody who doesn't have the money to defend themselves. Well, I mean, so it, somebody who makes twenty five thousand is going to be a hell of a lot more lucrative to them to somebody who makes. 20 million. And if you're looking for some sort of actual actionable proof, if you, you can look at the fact that they want to change the dollar amount from of for which the banks have to report what was deposited from $10,000 in cash to any deposit over $600. Mhm. Which means not just your W-2 at the end of the year, but everything you deposit into your account over $600 is going to get reported to the IRS. Yep. How does that affect a billionaire? Yeah, it doesn't because they they don't do that. They, they don't move money that way. That's that's only designed at the middle and lower class. That's all they're doing. Right. That's that's where they're headed. That's that's the those are the people that they're looking to tax because and and further hassle because they don't have the money, the influence and the power to defend themselves a billionaire he'll tie you up in court forever he has lawyers who are smarter than the irs and accountants that are smarter than the irs you'll never see a dime out of them ever and if you do it's only because they their lawyers were or their accountants were bad and they'll fix that (laughs) next time around trust me <laughs> that's that's a temporary situation. Yeah, you got me this year. Next year, I'm gonna screw you though. That's that's how that works. So this is like any any tax reform or any any building up of an infrastructure to make the IRS more hard hitting is not designed for the wealthier elite. It's designed to hit us hard, and that's the part that. I find objectionable. They say like none of it has any connection with reality or helping people. They they do it because they can and because the rich 
and and leadership and elite want to see how much they can squeeze out of us. That's basically where that stands. And anybody who tells you differently is either working for them or one of them themselves. Oh, I mean, and at this point, if we were to add honesty into the uh, and integrity, no, that doesn't even yeah, that doesn't even come into play. Yeah. That's I think that's the, I not think a thing. The system would fall apart if you added that in at this point. No, like moral, like and how, like how would you gauge honesty or morality? Like they, I don't even think they have a compass for that. They they couldn't find it with a map. Are you kidding me? The <laughs> honesty to them is. Well, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Can you define sexual relations? <laughs> you know? I mean, when you have proof, it's just like, oh, I didn't know that's what you meant. Oh, yeah, no, I, that's weird. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so messed up that I, I don't see, I don't see how we fix it without burning it down first. Honestly, because they're never like, uh, uh, how do you remove that kind of power from the people who have it? They're not going to willingly give it up. It's been working for them. They've worked hard to become this crooked. <laughs> this is this is their life's dream is to be this corrupt. So, so why are they so, going to give it? And it's working. So why would wish, they give that up? So my wish that they would all just go away and leave me alone is uh, is, is just fantasy. Yeah, good luck with that. I, I mean, <laughs> when you start to understand how bad it's really gotten, you start to understand those people who live in a shack with a bunch of guns and, and just stay off the grid. Cause you, wait, wait a minute, is that a viable option? Oh, well, yeah, apparently. Until they come for you, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's – and that's – I think that's the part that – young people are dealing with right it's so out of kilter and so far removed from fair that i mean the, the gen z is just looking at the millennials just were just like where's my pony and, and gen <laughs> z is just looking at it like uh, war games the the only way to win is not to play you can't you cannot win in this so as a generation. So when I complain about Gen Z under those circumstances, am, am I being disingenuous? Is it really? Am I? Should I be giving them a little bit more benefit of the doubt, considering the fact that from what you're saying is that they have woken up, looked around, and realized that it's so fucking bad that communism actually looks good to them? I, I think that's pretty close. Honestly, I think that's pretty close. They're looking around. They can't win. They have no political power. They have no money. What are they going to fight with? Other other than a full revolt, how could they change what is? They can't. We, and we there's, there's three generations on top of them fighting for the scraps that are available. What, what are they going to do? I mean, a full system rewrite is is almost required for them to have any kind of lives at all. Is is that where we're going? Yeah, I think so. Eventually, I know that's depressing and it's and it's kind of doomsaying. But honestly, I don't see I don't see how this 
like what we've got going on in this country, I don't see how that fixes itself. It's not going to. It's not in their best interests to. The only way we're removing that regime, and I'm not talking about the current Democrats are sitting or, or Republicans waiting in the wings. I don't mean that. They're all corrupt. They all hate you. What, and they all want to steal from you. So, so it's not as bad as I think it is, and I'm as paranoid as I am. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's true. Um, oh, the, okay. the, I, I don't, I don't think that they can be removed without giant. Like, and I say this all the time, and everybody looks at me like I'm weird. But the only time this will change is if an entire generation or a large enough group of people throw themselves on the machine because the alternatives or the punishment for doing that is equally as bad as the lives that they're living now or the future that they have now. And when, when enough people come to the, to the conclusion that, well, screw it, it can't be any worse than this. When that happens, then we're going to see, and we'll see it come to its knees. We will. That At that point, the machine will have to stop and change. Either that or just be completely destroyed and rewritten. So One of those two things is possible. So I should continue stockpiling ammo and MREs? Well, yeah, probably. I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime, though. I think enough people live a good enough life. Uh, what did you say the other day, bread and circuses? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think enough people live a good enough life right now and get by and are appeased with cell phones and dating apps and booze and and I, I i think the smartest move that the states ever did was start legalizing weed because <laughs> it calmed them down uh, I, I, it I calmed them down i don't know if i have an, as much faith in how long it's going to take to get there as you do i think it is going to happen in our lifetimes but i think it's i think we're, we're going to get is we're going to be those old people that just get shoveled out into the the, the street because there's no room for us anymore. Well, that's going to be difficult because we're still landowners. Um, <laughs> that'll be difficult. The the what you'll see, honestly, what I think you'll see is the government will go one step too far. They will take and and you won't see it. You they won't even see it coming. Right, because they're going to do this because they they do this in the name of safety, in the name of of goodness. That's what they do all this stuff in to save everybody. Right? They're going to go. They're going to get it in their heads that something, and I don't know what it is, is a great idea, and they're just going to force it on us all. And it's going to be one step too far, whatever it is, and that'll be it. And it'll happen so fast, I, but, so fast. Yeah. There's a lot of rhetoric, 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 cheese, rhetoric, rhetoric is, I think, the word I'm looking for out there as it is that I don't think we're as far away from that as you think we are. Nah, there's way too many people making too much money. Wait till that stops. We, we need something like a really good we, like we were almost there in the pandemic, right? When we were out of toilet paper and the in the grocery stores didn't have any food that I think that if that would have gone a, a little bit worse and people would have started to actually really on a national level go hungry you'd have tipped it right yeah. there it would have just tipped it right over i mean we were months away from the apple cart going over in 2020 yeah but, to be uh, honest but costco and a couple of other places are already starting to limit purchases again yeah well 
And I think that's actually a good thing. That's a to me, that's a good response because you need to do that. It it is. But when they start doing that, it's kind of like what what do they know is coming? Once again, me being the paranoid conspiracy theorist, I'm my thought process is they, they know something's coming. I don't think it's going to start at the grocery level. Uh, I don't think Armageddon is going to start at Albertsons. You know what I mean? I just I don't give them that much credit. Uh, That that may be too far for me. But what I think uh, what I think a lot of people are doing is having a different mindset about it. Um, And I really wish they would. I wish that that the. The issues that we're looking that we look upon in 2020 would be lessons for us, and I don't think we learned enough lessons in 2020. I, don't I think we learned any. Well, some people did, and we'll use your grocers as the as a fine example. One, don't let every one stupid ass, you know, wingnut buy everybody's stuff. Right. <laughs> Nobody needs 5000 rolls of toilet paper. You need to limit that stuff. Nobody needs to buy all the anything. OK, well, if you're reduced to eating nothing but Taco Bell, you might. <laughs> but I mean, that's good. Um, the just in time stuff, people are putting up new storage units and new new areas with, that are local instead of just doing the supply chain thing that we did in 2020. I think that's very positive. The fact that they're charging you more so that they can build those things. I don't really mind that if it keeps the flow a little bit more even keeping the stock a little bit more uh, uh, high it locally uh, it serves us well. Now, it doesn't help that we're all a bunch of idiots, and the first thing we hear is these radio you know, and, and TV news people going on, there's going to be a run on toilet paper, bottled water, and everyone's left shoe. And then everybody goes and buys all that crap and creates a self-fulfilling prophecy when you're like, oh, for frick. There wasn't a shortage, and this is the problem, right? One of our problems. There wasn't a shortage on toilet paper. We created that because we were stupid. We did that. There wasn't a shortage on on bottled water. We did that. We had these idiots go out to Costco and buy, I need 7,000 bottles of water. I have an 18-wheeler <laughs> backed up out here. How much will that be? I don't care the cost, you know. And you're... <laughs> And you just look at these people and like you're you are literally part of the problem. I mean, I understand stocking up. I do. I have after the pandemic and toilet paper came back every like every month I buy an extra 48 rolls or uh, no, uh, 24 rolls. And I now have 72 rolls sitting in my garden tub And <laughs> over the course of six or seven months that I have uh, started doing that. I have 72 rolls in the garden tub. I don't feel bad about that. It's just an extra pack a month that I buy just to make sure. Uh, water, same thing. I've uh, after Snowmageddon in Texas, I've started collecting firewood a little bit here, here and there. Here we go. We'll just make sure we have some. It's all fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with prepping. I don't think there's anything wrong with betting on a failure. Absolutely not. What I have a problem with are the hoarding uh, preppers who decide that everyone else has to go without because they're scared. 
that's that's my problem. And in a time of emergency, I don't care if you want to prep all year long and you have 17 million bottles of water buried in a bunker out back. Great. Don't do that shit all at once. So that closet in my basement is okay then. Just fine. Okay. Just make just fine. I don't care if you want to build it up. Right. I've got two buckets of 72 each ready to eat meals as well. Right. I I got it. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Only two. Well, I've, I've only started collecting recently, um, <laughs> but I mean, I'll, I'm with you. I can I can be down with that. My problem starts when you do it all at once because you're scared. There's there's because you've heard or whatever, and you're like, well, it's going to be me instead of everyone else. I get it. Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, like prep the rest of the time, prep all the time so that when it comes, you're ready. You're fine. Totally, totally. And that's part of the mentality of, of everyone. But uh, to come back, I got a bit on a tangent there. Sorry, y'all. But to come back around, I don't think that we're we're re- preparing Gen Z for a world that is fair because it's not. It's not fair. And they can't win. There's no American dream left for them. And if we have... Like the, they're the first generation, I think. And I know we gotta go soon, but uh, they are the first generation that I think has no shot at living the American dream, uh, a dignified life with a house and a white picket fence and a family and, and all those things that we used to value. I think they are the first generation born in this country that will never achieve that under our current system. It's not possible. And I don't know what we're going to do as a country about that. Well, on that positive note, I would, as always, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> you going to end with that? Oh, great. <laughs> as always, we'd love to hear from you. I uh, Tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're right. However you want to do it. Uh, email address is take a number at gentlemansoapbox.com. Our Twitter feed is... Uh, at gsbcast.com. Oh, no, no, dot com. It's Twitter. Dumb. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I've got a little bit more of a fun topic for us next week. Uh, with that said, hopefully my brain is functioning better than it is today. And uh, once again, thank you for listening. Tell your friends, and we'll see you again soon. That's pretty much par for the course. Now, while Jake may be unreliable and rambling, I'm delightful. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out there. We just said Civil War, you can't lose or you can't win. All of us are going to be poor. The only way we're going to get out of this is if we all revolt and uh, everybody pretty much sucks. Yeah, we're so positive. Like, there's not a group we haven't pissed off. And if you'll, I, this is not a euphemism, playing with my lightsaber. <laughs> I'm being completely honest and sincere in that. And I, I will also add, just in case anybody's dirty-minded or you're going to put this on an outro, <laughs> my pants are fully buttoned and zips. I am not, that is not a euphemism at all. I actually do have a lightsaber in my hand.
I need a piece of paper. Hold on. 